Hey, you found us. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast. I'm Ben Glickson with my tag team partner, Matt Story. And we almost just did the recording without hitting record because we started talking about the NFL and penalties. And uh, apparently, uh, based on a video I saw put together by a couple of Packer fans, the way to sack a quarterback now is to delicately lift them in a cradling manner like the, the quarterback is a baby uh, and and lay them gently to the to the ground, and if you don't put a pillow under their head before you do that, it's roughing the passer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I read last week somebody I cannot remember who, uh, you know, somebody had this tweet about you know new new NFL guide to you know sacking the quarterback, and it was like you know all this stuff about you know send a send a written notice, uh, you know, make sure the quarterback is okay with it. Uh, tell the referees in advance you're going to. Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, interesting times, man. I don't know. Uh, you know, this is this is the result, I, I guess, of in, in large part, and it's kind of funny. You may not find it funny. Uh, this rule emphasis has really come in large part due to Aaron Rodgers' hit, the hit yeah. on Aaron Rodgers last year, which I did not have a problem with, and I know you did. We discussed it. I did not feel like it was at all roughing but now apparently it is and so are so many other things that i really don't know what guys are supposed to do well and while i did not like the bar hit on rogers last season i acknowledge that you know there's a gray area and that while i viewed that as a very dark gray um (laughs) it was it was in the gray area and i felt like he did you know, have the opportunity to release Rodgers after it was clear he didn't have the ball anymore and chose not to, and that was where my issue was. Now, the problem with all of that is where is that line on any given play? I mean, we right, saw exactly. we saw a couple of the extremes the last couple of weeks. You know, the Packers with Mike Daniels uh, uh-huh. last week against Kirk Cousins wrapped him up and then let go because he right. thought Cousins might right. have thrown the ball. Uh, and then in the Miami game this week, their uh-huh. you know, defensive end, in what Adam Gase said, was directly the result of him trying not to fall yeah. on the quarterback, uh, tore ligaments in his knee and is out yeah, for the year. Yeah, I mean, you're asking guys to do things that simply aren't natural. Um, you know, do I do I understand the, the motivation? Sure. Uh, I mean, look, the, you know, star quarterbacks pay the freight and... They're the guys who, you know, NBC and Fox and CBS and ESPN want to put on TV because you're more likely to watch. I mean, I'm certain that, you know, late, what was it late in the year last year when the Packers played the Vikings, I think on a Monday night, and, you know, Rodgers was out. I'm certain that they felt the sting. You know, less people probably watched Brett Hundley than watched Aaron Rodgers. And, and, you know, the year that the Colts were on primetime a bunch without Peyton Manning. And, uh, you know, I get it. But at the same time, it's like, man, I... I I don't know what you what you want guys to do. It just it, to me, it, it's uh, I mean, we're at the point now where I really think, and I say this without hyperbole at all, we're not far from the day where the quarterback sack might might go out of the game, um, or at least the, the quarterback tackle. I mean, are we are we getting to the point where quarterbacks are treated like kickers, or simply touching them as a penalty? Because I mean, it, it's starting to get that way. Yeah, it it is feeling a little bit. Um suspect that you can have something as simple as 
a sack becomes so complicated that maybe it's uh, legislating too much. Yeah. And then how do you play defense, man? I mean, like, you can't, you know, we've already, you know, cut back on any sort of illegal contact, holding pass interference. You, You know, you can't even try to play pass defense so many times. Your one weapon is the pass rush. Now they're taking that away. I mean, you wonder why offensive numbers are through the roof and guys are setting records. Well, that's why. Uh, I mean, you know, we've made the game much more difficult for defenses. Yeah, you know, it's definitely interesting when you get a guy like T.O., who obviously is a self-promoter, but understands the game and is a Hall of Famer retweeting Jamel Hill uh, about what what are they supposed to do? This is an offensive uh, player, a Hall of Famer right, who benefited right. from this system. Right. You know, agreeing. Uh, yeah. You know, Clay Matthews in that on that side. And look, I watched the whole game. The Packers didn't right. lose because of the roughing the passer. No, they didn't. They were you know, outplayed. Sure, sure. But but it was just glaring because that was it. it he didn't. Alex Smith was holding the ball. He right. got, no, I agree. He got hit above the waist and below the shoulders. Yeah. And I was watching it when it was when it happened, and I I mean, sadly, I was not at all surprised it was flagged. I mean, it's it's come to the point where when it looks like a rough hit, it's a flag. Uh, and even sometimes when it's not, I mean, Dad, did you see the one in the Cowboys game? Dak Prescott barely got touched, and they called it. I mean, and even Aikman, who, you know, whose career ended because of concussions, was like disgusted by it you know i mean they had Pereira on and Aikman's like you know i'm not even gonna say anything i you know i I don't even know how to how to you know assess it like i mean it's it's crazy that you know offensive guys are offended by this (laughs) you know so so what are we doing here i just don't quite get it well and then the knee-jerk reaction of the nfl is almost more frustrating i mean on on the matthews one this week Uh nfl the official nfl twitter yeah, had an explanation for why that was an appropriate penalty, like minutes after the play yeah. happened, and it's like, really? I mean, amazingly, I think it is based on based on what they are saying the rule is. I guess it is. I just think the application of the rule is crazy. I mean, you know, this this you can't land with your body weight on. Well, he did, yeah. but I don't know what he's supposed to do. I really don't, and and it really. I mean, it, you know, it's become a, a you know sarcastic comment, but it's not really sarcastic. It feels like the penalty is hitting the quarterback too hard. That's really what it is, and and you can't just do it for the stars. Although, let's be honest, the stars are more likely to get that benefit of the doubt, like always. So, you know, you gotta you gotta do it consistently, or at least try to. And and uh, yeah, I just I don't know, I don't know where we're going with it. I don't know if we're headed toward. Uh, you know, flag football uh, for the quarterbacks, at least. Um, I really don't because I think you're you're asking guys to do something that just is not natural, and I don't know how you how you address that and fix that. The point you made is an offshoot of a point I heard on the Ringer NFL podcast that they were saying, which is, you know, it, it's not that the refs aren't understanding the rule. It's that the rule mis- is a mischaracterization for the sport we're playing. Yeah, you know? yeah, I think the, that's right. The, the rule is you can't land on the guy. The problem is it's really hard to tackle someone right. without landing on them. Without landing on them. And, and, Unless you're you know, Demarius Randall and you shoulder block people. 
Well, yeah, and we saw how effective that tackling, you know, ability was. I mean, that's the other thing. You know, when you when you're now rushing a guy like Cam Newton, and yes, Cam Newton's an extreme example of a quarterback. But I mean, how do you how do you tackle Cam Newton in the pocket without putting your weight into it? He's bigger than most of the guys who are going to try to tackle him. You can't just lightly tap Cam Newton and expect him to go down to the ground. It's not going to happen. Well, and is it really going to be that far an exaggeration to say guys like Cam Newton? I mean, Roethlisberger was big. Newton's big. You know, the, the there's guys court. like him. Josh yeah. Allen is a big old guy. I mean, you know, yeah. there's guys coming into the league that are like that. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, he's not. Yes, Cam Newton is a, is a bit of an outlier, but at the same time, not that rare that you'll never see another guy like him or anything. I, the, there are more guys go, who are going to be NFL quarterbacks built like Cam Newton than built yeah. like Drew Brees. That's true. That's my statement no moving forward. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is that is very true. So. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I really don't know where it goes, and I don't like seeing it um, because I just think I think you uh, you skew the game. I mean, what I've noticed watching a lot of games the last three weeks, and I'd love for somebody you have to have a lot of time and you have to have a lot of ability to you know access numbers, but I would love for somebody to take a look at like the quarterbacks of this era, you know, the Mannings, the Bradys, the Favs, the Maybe not Favre because he retired, you know, before the emphasis really pushed. But Breeze, Rogers, etc. How many yards and touchdowns and completions they have after a you know third down defensive penalty that you know it'd be hard to hard to narrow down. But just you know third down defensive penalty that gives them a first down. How many extra yards and touchdowns do they have compared to guys of yesteryear? And that's why it's hard to compare these guys, man. I mean. You watch games and you think, oh, that's a, they're going to punt. And, oh, wait, nope, there's an illegal contact on the other side of the field. And, you know, you give great quarterbacks another first down, they're usually going to take advantage of it. And I see it all the time. Well, I also wonder how much better offenses do counting penalties on third and seven-plus compared right. to how it used to be. Because that right. used to be impossible. You were done. That was, yeah, I mean, you know, and now the odds of – if, if your line can block, the odds of you yeah. getting a, a holding or a pass interference yes. on a long play is outstanding. That sometimes doesn't even have anything to do with the throw. I mean, I was I was watching a college game this weekend. I can't remember which game it was. You know, third down and 15 or something, incomplete pass. And, oh, on the other side of the field, we've got an illegal contact. Like, that, doesn't, that didn't even have anything to do with the play. You know, it's just – it's frustrating. And, again – that's why it'd be hard to do these numbers because you could say, well, what about the obvious, you know, third and 15 where there's a clear pass interference that would have been a completion. And there's no way to separate that. You know, that's a judgment call. But I would just be curious to see, like, if you could if you could look at their career numbers and compare it to guys, you know, like Staubach and Bradshaw and, you know, those guys from years ago and just the percentages of how many yards they get and touchdowns and completions and all these things after a drive should have been over. You know, if without the penalty. Now that doesn't mean they were unfair. Doesn't mean those penalties were bad calls. It just, I think it'd be fascinating to know how inflated the numbers are because of that. Well, I think to the point of how do you account for you know for that and the possibility of yeah. you know the the good call. Well, there right. were plenty of times back when, especially if you go back to the Bradshaw era, right. where. 
that this penalty wasn't a penalty. I mean, you just right, you just right. could mug the guy going down the field. Yeah, so it, yeah, you know, yeah. even if it was a quote unquote good call, it doesn't true, matter. True. No, I agree. I, I I don't know. I mean, you know, it's not like it. It's not like these rules didn't exist, but they certainly were not emphasized. I mean, they're. You know, you go back and watch a game from the 80s and tell me how many times you see illegal contact or defensive holding call. <laughs> Probably never. Uh, and if you get through a game without seeing those calls now, you've, you you know, you've seen a real exception to the rule. Um, you know, so it's, I don't know, it's just interesting. And, I mean, you know, it's not to discount Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers and Peyton Manning. I mean, I like those guys. Peyton Manning is my favorite football player ever. But you, you, um, you know, you just, you have to, when you look at the numbers, you have to take into account the game is just so different, not only in the strategy, but in the way it's officiated. And that has made the passing game so much easier. We're going to talk about the ASU Washington game in a second, but we just mentioned Matt's favorite quarterback of all time. I want to mention Matt's favorite high school football coach of all time. (laughs) Uh, I saw a stat today and we tweeted it out on our official Twitter at Ben and Matt pod. Sal Point Catholic High School's football program is 443, 239, and 8 with a state title. They are 204 games over 500 yeah. since the program began. Dennis Benet is 162 and 42, so he's 119 of those 204 games yeah. over 500, and he is the state title. He has the state title, yes, and has. Uh you know, knocked on the door a couple other times and may very well again this year. Uh, he's got a team that certainly looks capable of it. Um, yeah, he's, he's uh, you, you take it for granted in some ways that, you know, um, they're just going to be great every year and they're going to have a chance to, you know, get to the playoffs and have a chance to win the title. And uh, it's it's remarkable, really, what, what he's been able to do. And, uh, you know, for a, for a program that, at least as we were growing up, prior to going to high school, really wasn't very good. I, I remember as a kid thinking, like, South Point's not really very good in football. You didn't hear that basketball was, was what they did so well. Um, and it's totally flipped now. Football is the year-in, year-out contender, and basketball not so much. But, yeah, pretty pretty impressive what they've been able to do there. Lathan Ransom, Bijan Robinson. I mean, they've got skill position guys getting recruited by high division one. They do, they do. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's you know that's the lifeblood of it. You know, you got to have players, and they get they get players that quite honestly don't look like players that you know played fifteen years ago when we were there, and and they were good, you know, those years. But well, uh, I mean, think you about look this. at some of these guys the, and like, wow, they jump off the page. The best guys, the absolute best guys from. Before our year, were guys yeah. who were going to Ivy League schools or the right. Colorado School of Mines, right? You know, Adam State, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then, you know, Tyler Gronke went to Hawaii. Jack yeah. Darlington went to Nevada. I think did Rocco go to Nevada too? Uh, I believe so. Yes, he did. So Rock, yes. so yes. two receivers went to Nevada. Caduce, though he didn't wind up staying, right. went to Notre Dame to play offensive right. line. They had. Really good talent, but not yeah. not this. This is I mean, no. Ran- Ransom's being recruited by Michigan, Michigan, and yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, and, uh, they're going to be able to go wherever they want. I mean, let's let's you know, guys like that, they can kind of write their own ticket, and and you know, they may not they may not have offers from everybody, but you know, if they say they want to go somewhere, they'll probably create an offer for them. Um, you know, and that's uh, 
that's definitely notable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the Robinson kid, I went and saw him in the opening week and, um, stops and obviously not a very good team and they just ran circles around him. But looking at him, I mean, he, he's only a junior and he's got the stature of a college kid. Like, you know, you just look at the way he runs and the way he looks just standing there on the sideline. It's like, man, that kid does not look like a high school junior. No. And it's a credit to Benet. He weathered the storm of the, uh, the postseason ban Right and and still manages to get these kids in and and build yeah, a program yeah. and you know I think it's really impressive. Now before yeah. we get into ASU Washington, there's one more Matt's favorite that yep. we have to talk about. Matt, how was your you golf watching? <laughs> My favorite athlete ever. Let's be honest, uh, is Tiger Woods, and it has been a lean few years, but. Uh, I, I kept the faith, and yeah, it was it was awesome yesterday. It was a great weekend to see him, you know, stretched out on Saturday, have that great run there, and you know, kind of get some separation, and and then you know, do what he did so many times in his prime, which is just kind of go about his business on Sunday, keep everybody at arm's length, and yeah, it was it was like stepping into a time machine. So uh, pretty cool, you know. I don't, I, you know, everybody of course now wants to go to the, you know, can he win four more majors? Can he? Do, I don't know. Um, no one knows. Uh, but this was cool just to see him get back and win again. I didn't know that. Didn't know that I'd see it again. But I, I never quite gave up hope. Now I know that I know very little about golf. But what I heard and what I saw reported is that this year he played something in the vicinity of eighteen events. Yeah, yeah, and and was able to stay fresh. And relatively yeah. healthy throughout, and, and sort of built his confidence and, and stayed competitive throughout yeah. the course of the season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, played his best at the end. Uh, the last, I think, eight tournaments he uh, had, I want to say, five top tens. Um, you know, had a chance on Sunday at both of the last two majors, um, and then you know finishes it off with the first win. Uh, it was, a, I mean, it was a great capper. Obviously, you know, I list off, you know eight to 10 seasons that he had that numerically were better. Um, you know, in 2000, he won nine times and he won three majors. This was not that, but just when you put it in context of where he started and what the expectations were to play the whole year, only missed two cuts, um, finished in the top 10 of the money list, finished in the top 10 of the, you know, FedEx cup point standings, won a tournament, you know, contended at a couple majors. I mean, it's, it's remarkable really because a year ago, the guy couldn't even make a full swing. It's really an incredible journey. Now, in the modern sports hot takiness yeah. of it all, you know, I saw, is this the greatest <laughs> comeback, ever. comeback, you know, yeah. greatest feat of sports? I I have seen the comments and the hot takes on Twitter. Right. I'm inclined to go with Mario Lemieux based on the ones I've seen. Well, there's a ton. I mean, it, it, everybody's it's really it, – it's such a hard thing. I mean, it's sort of like doing the LeBron versus Jordan comparison. I mean, how do you, how do you um, debate people's, you know, tragedies? <laughs> you know, it's hard to, it's hard to do injuries or, or calamities or whatever. Um, you know, a, a golf one, and I don't. I know you're not a big golf guy, but I mean, Ben Hogan got in a car crash that pretty much left him near death 
1950, I believe it was. And he came back and, you know, won three majors in 1953, could barely walk. Uh, you know, never walked without pain the rest of his life. Like that's, that's pretty notable as well. Um, you don't even, you know, so you don't even have to leave golf to have a, a pretty good comparison at least, but I don't know. There's no answer to that. I mean, it's, it really is an impossible answer to come up with. There's tons of stories of people who came back from adversity. That's what makes sports great is the, is the comeback, the second yeah. act. Um, and, and, and I'm, just, I'm really glad he's been able to at least do this. I don't know what next year's going to hold. No one does. He's, you know, he's still got a surgically repaired back that, you know, he might have 10 more years of playing. He might have 10 more weeks of playing. No one knows. Um, but it's just cool that he was able to, you know, finally get back to winning a tournament and, and finish it off, uh, you know, finish this year off in style, basically. Well, and it's back. It's knee, you know, knee repairs oh, yeah, and yeah. all I mean, kinds he's of. He's had a ton. He's had, you know, four back surgeries the last five years, I believe. He's had multiple knee surgeries over the course of his entire career, going back to college. He had a knee surgery when he was at Stanford. Um, uh, you know, he had a broken leg. Obviously, famously won the U.S. Open. You know, with a fractured fibula. You know, so um, yeah. I mean, he's he's been beat up. Uh, anybody who says you know golf's not a physical sport, his career would tell you otherwise, and so would many others. He is not the only golfer. You know, golf's a tough sport. It's it's not football. You know, but it's it's a very physically taxing sport. Uh, and and you know, yeah, he's he's certainly got the battle scars to prove it. Very quickly on the big comebacks um, line of thinking. Yeah. Because I, I, I want to chase this down a little in my own head, so I'm going to process okay. it out loud. For those of you okay. who are still listening, this is basically what Matt and I do after we're done recording, but I'm going to do it now. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Because I, I think it's multiple different ways of looking at it. There's sure. they're coming back from something where it's career-threatening and it's long-term – then you've got like the Willis Reed situation where oh, you sure. come out and play or, or the Paul Pierce getting stabbed. Oh, um, right, right. You know, there's just – it's a there's tough the, one. Yeah. You know, Favre had some of his intestines removed during an offseason. Sure, sure, um, sure. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, there's all kinds. Of, there's, you know, uh, you know, obviously Muhammad Ali, you know, had the, had the you know – was, was banned from five, you know, had the title stripped and couldn't fight. And he came back and had a great second run. Um, you know, Peyton Manning, you know, and we talked about that and, and, the you know, his career was thought to be over 2011 and he came back and, you know, set the NFL record, won an MVP, uh, you know, had a great, you know, last act basically as a football player. I mean, it, there's a lot of great ones, um, that there is no answer to what is the greatest comeback ever. And, uh, you know, it, it, you're right. I mean, it, this is the hot take world. And, it, you know, we do this all the time. When someone wins a title, it's the greatest team ever. When someone wins the Heisman, he's the greatest player ever. Uh, you know, and, and you need a little perspective. And, and time will tell us. I mean, if, if Tiger Woods is able to come back and win, you know, multiple more majors and get back to number one in the world, then maybe we will remember it that way. If this is the only tournament he wins, we won't remember it that way. But it's still, for someone like me, who's followed him through his entire career, a tremendously cool moment to be able to see this pay off. In the world of great comebacks and people who you thought were done, I think that we'd be remiss if we didn't mention head football coach Herm Edwards. That's right, Um, that's right. And hopefully... 
you know, you're right. Comebacks come in all shapes and sizes. And hopefully, you know, sometime when we're having this discussion in a few years, we're talking about him as one of the greatest ever. Unfortunately, it's not going to be after this week where ASU gets yeah. dropped 27-20 uh, in Washington. Uh, the Huskies open the door with a, you know, Chris Peterson likes the trick play. And they come out with a yeah. trick play, double pass, and... Chase Lucas gets the gift yeah. interception from Andre Bocelli, and it's uh, it's off to the races. We we run the ball six times, and we yeah. run it down their throats. And, yeah, you know. get in on fourth and goal there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was as good a start as you could hope for. If you're gonna, I mean, we we talked about it last week. How can you pull off the upset? What do you need? Well, the first, you know. Four minutes of the game were exactly what we needed. Unfortunately, the next fifty-six, not quite so much. And and it, and it, you know, the tone was set right away. Like we got the touchdown, and we let them go right down the field to tie the game. That was that was a deflator for me because you know, not that I thought we were going to shut them out or win seven to nothing, but you know, you like to you like to keep that lead as long as possible. Start to get them a little bit worried, a little bit like, what's going on? Get the fans a little scared. And that didn't last very long because they went right down the field, scored. Like, well, okay, so much for our early game momentum. It, it felt like Peterson acknowledged the trick play didn't work and said, "Okay, yeah. well, we'll just beat you straight up then." Back to the back to the way we do it, which is running the ball and and boy, too many wide open receivers. I don't know, I don't know what Browning's final numbers were. I have they probably it. weren't huge. They weren't great, but it did. Yeah. But. But really, none of their numbers were great. Browning no. ended fifteen of twenty-two for two hundred two with three touchdowns. Yeah, see, it's not it's not that notable. I mean, it's a solid game, but it just felt like too many times guys just wide open down the field when they tried to throw down the field, well, and then they, they kind of they, they're they not wanted. a team that continues to attack. But yeah, exactly that. They they seem to be able to get what they wanted whenever they wanted it. You know. We tried to commit to running the ball. We we tried to be anti gimmicky, I guess. Yeah. In that yeah, we decided, look, we're just going to shorten the game. It, it felt like Herb Sendek's first year, uh, but on a football field. We're going to shorten the game. We're going to run yeah. the ball. We're going to make the game go real fast, and we're going to try to stay in it until the fourth quarter. It definitely did. Yeah. And, and we were, I mean, we, I texted you, you know, at the start of the fourth and as frustrated as we were by certain things, we were down by seven points and, and, you know, it's like, okay. I mean, I think I even said last week when we talked like, okay, if we can get, you know, will I be surprised if we get to the fourth quarter within a score? Well, we were, and I was, um, but we, you know, it's the game plan works. If you can make the plays in the fourth quarter to win the game and we didn't do it, you know, we had a shot, but, then they go down and score to start the fourth, and we we got one score and you know had a had a chance you know if we got the ball back, but we just didn't make enough plays to overcome it. No, and look, the commitment to running the ball paid off in that Eno Benjamin rushed for over a hundred yards. Yeah, he, he got yeah. that opening touchdown. But after that opening touchdown, we didn't score a touchdown again until the fourth. It's the it's right. you know the theme of the season. These twenty and in this case. 38 minute gaps between right. touchdown possessions right. is, is just yeah, unacceptable. Yeah, I, mean, I, I know Washington's I, I, a good defense, but they are, they are. And, and I agree with you. I mean, it's, um, I'm really curious these next couple of weeks because, you know, now the, now the 
quality of defense, especially, and really the quality of opponent overall, drops a little. Um, we've played, you know, two teams that started the year in the top 15. San Diego State wasn't, but we know they have a pretty good defense. It was on the road. Now you've got Oregon State. And then you go to Colorado and, you know, yes, they're 3-0, and but their signature win over Nebraska gets less and less impressive as we continue to see Nebraska. And so how good are they really? I don't, I don't know. Uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious how this offense is going to look the next couple of weeks because then you got Stanford. And that's a tough opponent, you know, um, but, but I, I want to see a lot better production because, yeah, after, you know, week one, when it was pretty good um, yeah, against a very overmatched opponent, last three weeks have been very hit or miss offensively. Some, some decent stretches, but no consistency to it. <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm distracted by a text from your father. Um. Oh, okay. <laughs> But yes, I agree with you. They, they they need to find their rhythm. Oregon State is bad, as evidenced yes. by the beating they took at the hands of an Arizona team right. whose offense has looked inept for much of it the has. year. Yes, it has. Yeah, um, they gave up you know three almost three hundred yards rushing to one guy. Uh, you know, so yeah, it, it, this this will be a very good litmus test this week because you know you can you can say if you want to be glass half full guy. You can say, well, boy, the offense hasn't looked great, but we played three pretty darn good defenses. We've had to play this style, these, you know. Well, now, you, you, you know, if the offense struggles this week, you kind of lose that excuse. You know, then, it, then you've got a problem. Now, if you go out and you, and you put up 40-plus and, you, you know, you look good, then I'm like, okay, maybe it was just the quality of defense and we're, we're decent, you know, we're in good shape going forward. All right, so let, let's talk about what happened in the passing game at Washington Man, well, that'll be quick. Man, <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about that in about 25 seconds, I think. But yes. Manny Wilkins, 17 of 27, 104 yards. 104 yards. We Not average less than four yards per attempt. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, yeah, I mean, there was, there was just nothing there. We just didn't – we did not push the ball downfield much at all. Um, I can only remember – one throw that really seemed like a, a, a deep shot, and that really wasn't that much of a deep shot. It was early in the game, I think, our second drive when we kicked the field goal. Um, he threw a ball to Kyle Williams that he did not make a good throw on, gave him no chance to catch it. Um, and that was a familiar thing in that game, too. Now, on the throws where he did go 10-plus yards down the field, they were not good throws. They were not put in the place that you needed to put them. And against a good secondary, you can't be inaccurate. And... and he was inaccurate too often. The longest completion was 20 yards to Brandon Ayuk. Yeah, yeah. and so that came late. The longest, the, you know, when we were yeah. up by, or down by 14, I should say. The longest completion after that was nine. The, yeah. the longest completion Nikhil Harry had was five yards. Five. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, five catches for less than 20 yards or something yeah, like that? Five right? for 20. Five for yeah. exactly 24 yeah. yards a catch. Yeah, that average. just does not get it done. Now, now again, very good secondary, um, but we didn't test him enough, I don't think. And, and especially in the second half, when it, it was time to. You know, I, I like the game plan um, early, keep yourself in the game, and you know, but then, like I texted you during the game, at some point, you know, it was time to, to you know, put the hammer down, as Ty Graham would say and go forward and when it came time we didn't we didn't do it 
enough, and when we tried to do it, it wasn't successful. And I don't know which one of those is more problematic. Uh, maybe if we had success, we would have done it more. Um, but it's just, yeah, it, it just wasn't there. The running game was very successful. The most, I mean, I have probably less yards than UTSA, but that's not a fair comparison. Um, we ran it well, but we needed we needed something from our passing game that just didn't happen. No, and, and it felt like they were content to let us pick up a little bit here, they were. a little bit there. They were. But ultimately, I mean, we still lost the time of possession battle. We yeah. still didn't. Yeah. We didn't get to 270 yards of offense, and no. and we committed seven penalties for 72 yards. Which, when a team's when you're only getting three, four yards of play, one penalty, and you are behind schedule, right. and you're screwed. And that that's was exactly basically it. how we yep. were. Yep, that's that's how that game went. It just it it uh, you know I talked about it a little bit the other way when we beat Michigan State, and that we did that to them. We kind of we let them get some yards, and we let them you know make their way down the field, but they they made some mistakes in the red zone. They had a turnover. They had a couple big penalties that stopped drives or made them kick field goals, and it worked out. We, you know, we didn't shut them down, but we held them to 13 points, and it, it felt similar the other way. In that, you know, Washington was content to let us let us have our our nice little five and six yard runs, but they weren't going to let us get 15 yard runs, and they weren't going to give us anything in the passing game, and and it worked for them. I mean, they, you know, they weren't overly dominant, but they the game was never really in doubt in the second half. I mean, they, they were never in jeopardy of losing. They, it felt like an old school big 10 kind of game. They kept us at arm's length. And the only it time did. we got in was when they went up two scores, we, right. we could get one back, but, right. but then right. they'd go up again. Right. And, right. Well, and, yeah. and the score we got down two scores was partly because of Nikhil Harry, just making something out of nothing on that punt return. When you know, ill-advised, fielded the ball inside the five, but maybe but he returned that, you know, it forty-two yards. I mean, <laughs> when you do it, yeah, it's not ill-advised. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you have a guy like that, you you know, you give him carte blanche, and he got us something. But that was that was about the only spark we had offensively, and and that wasn't even offensively. That was special teams. Well, and that's gets to the broader point of how inept our offense has looked. Yeah. That you know. Our first touchdown came on a short field because right. of an interception. Our second touchdown came on a short field because of a punt return. Right. And right. everything in between, we couldn't move the ball. We we right. got exactly yeah. how much they were willing to let us take. And, it ne- and, that and way. we're never really threatening. Yeah, um, it did. It definitely did seem that way. I agree. And on the you know, on the flip side, talking about the defense, another Stellar effort from Merlin Robertson, eleven tackles, seven by himself, including the only sack we had, but it was the yeah. only sack we had. We only had three right. tackles for loss. They ran the ball a ton. You they know, did. They, they did. dropped was, back was, a ton. We got no pressure a lot of the night. Yeah. We just, yeah. you know, it, it, it feels. Go ahead. I was just going to say, it feels like for as much as our offensive line kept the line of scrimmage as a, as a net yeah. neutral, you know, they, they were pushing us around on their they side. Were. They were. Yeah. I mean, I, I, like you said earlier, it seemed like. They could get whatever they wanted when they wanted it. They didn't. They didn't. You know, and, and that's the way they play. They're not a team that runs up fifty points very often. Um, you know, it's not like playing Oregon back in the day where you feel like, boy, they get rolling. They're, they're just going to score every single time they touch the ball. Um, but yeah, it, they just could always. 
they could always pull out the you know seven yard gain if they needed it. Um, it felt a lot like San Diego State to me. We didn't play poorly defensively, but we did play good enough. We couldn't make the impact play to turn the game around. And then when we did get within seven and we needed a defensive stop, we couldn't get that defensive stop. And, you know, and that was, that was kind of the way. And, you know, let's be honest, we didn't really get the defensive stop against San Diego state forced to fumble on a, you know, when the guy should have just gone down, stopped fighting for extra yards. Otherwise that game is the same way they run the timeout on us. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, um, not bad. I mean, the defense has not been horrendous by any means. It's been a big improvement. But it hasn't quite been good enough, especially when you consider an offense that is just struggling to find much consistency. The two plays that I think sum up how the game went for the teams involve running the ball and the push of the line. Mm. I, I know on fourth and one we got you know the touchdown on the first drive, but there was yeah. a play late when we were driving and Eno Benjamin tried to dive over the pile, but the pile right. got driven back. And he got right. and he got stuffed at the line with no game, which cost us you know thirty seconds there before we scored on the next play. So yeah, you're right. And then meanwhile, early in the game, it's a third and eight, and not conceding anything, they ran the ball and yeah. got it because yeah. you know they just figured it, it wasn't a well we're we're going to give up we're not going to get this running on you know third and eighteen it was a makeable third down right and they right. decided. We're we're gonna catch that on the off guard, and we're gonna and we're gonna get this. And even if we were playing accountable, they, they had that picked up because it was so no, well blocked and so much better than we were. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I mean they they looked like the better team, and and they are supposed to be the better team. I mean let's let's not forget that that this is a team that started the year in the top ten is currently in the top ten. Um, if the Pac-12 is going to have a playoff rep. I think they're probably certainly one of the favorites along with Stanford, probably the only teams that can do it. Um, it's a good team and they're good at home and, uh, you know, like they, they earned it. Um, and we hung in there with them. Now there's no moral victory. I'm certainly not saying, well, you know, feel good about losing, but it wasn't, it wasn't domination. We, we had a shot. We had a good game plan. We just, we just didn't do enough at the end to take advantage of that, you know, with the whole idea, it felt like was, like you said, Herb Sendex, like, you know, his first year, let's, let's muddy the game up. Let's get to the end and have a shot. Well, we did. And we didn't quite have enough to get over the hump. Looking ahead, because for personal reasons, our schedules are not great. And we're going to have to do a little bit of the preview now. Okay. Um, ASU returns home to take on the Oregon State Beavers, who are 1-3, 0-1 in conference. They just got beat by Arizona, yeah. 35-14. And the Beavers' offense really hasn't been the problem. You know, they've, no. they've put up over 30 points a game, although they only were held to 14 against Arizona. But, right. but the problem is their defense, okay. the defense is bad. They're allowing they're allowing yeah. an average of 540 yards per game. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Sun Devils, according to ESPN's Football Power Index, which I have no idea how it works or or what the sure. makeup is, but neither it, do I. Yeah. It suggests that it is a 92.7 percent chance ASU wins. And it should be. Uh, I mean, it, it needs to be. Um, you know, we talked about before the season. 
and we said that there were there were two games that you felt like you had to win: UTSA and Oregon State. They're both at home, and probably the two worst teams we were going to play. And we beat, we got the one, we got it easily, and and this one really needs to be the same. Like I said, this this is a game that I think we could win and come out feeling worried about. Like if we have to work for this in the fourth quarter, and and the offense continues to struggle, that's not a good sign. But this this needs to be a game that we can kind of you know take a take a breath, you know, fourth quarter, just kind of you know go through the motions get that big win, and then ready ourselves for October and November. This is a game that we should be, as fans, having a serious conversation about whether or not DSC is is yes. coming into the game. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I I hope we are. Um, we'll be watching it together in, in, you know, five nights, and I'm looking forward to that. But, uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, I hope that that's the case. I hope... Uh, that it's a game we can just kind of, like I said, you know, breathe easy in the second half, see the offense move the ball, put it in the end zone. Nikhil Harry put up some numbers. Eno Benjamin run the ball. You know, Manny stay protected, look a little bit. You know, it's just it's a it's a get healthy game. It it should be. Um, and then you know, again, it's uh, October's tough. You know, we've got three games, but none of them look easy. Two of them on the road, and the home game is against a top ten team. Um, and then that November stretch that that I said before the year, I still think will define this season. What we do in that in that four week stretch in November, we obviously have still a legitimate shot at the South, even at zero yeah. and one to start. Because <laughs> <Doesn't> everybody, <laughs> because yeah, the, yeah. as I say, because the South, uh, the best teams Arizona, who's played the worst Pac twelve team, right, right, and yeah, the yeah. only other team in the South that's got a conference win is USC. USC, who barely got that against Washington State, they had to they had to work really hard to get that win. Now Washington State may be better than than we both thought, but uh, yeah, that that was not an easy one for them. Um, UCLA looks really bad. Um, again, Colorado, I'm not sure what to make of them yet. Uh, and and they play UCLA this week, so we might still be saying that they could be four zero and have not beaten uh, you know an even credible opponent. Um, so hopefully we'll be that credible opponent in week week five for them or game five I should say, um, and then we'll see. You know, uh, yeah, it, it's it's going to be interesting. I think yeah, the South is completely wide open. I think you'd probably make a pretty good argument it's not going to be UCLA, given how bad they've looked. Anybody else? Who knows? Yeah, I mean it's a it, it's a wide open division at this point yeah for, yeah. for so the right to lose to whoever wins in the north well it certainly appears that way yeah and, and that's been the way you know since they started the divisions i think last year was wasn't last year the first time that that the south won the pac-12 title game usc yes i believe that's and it, true. it might only be a one-year streak it, it looks that way right now but uh but who knows we'll see i mean neither stanford or washington is overwhelming as we just saw with washington um, and Stanford should have been beaten by Oregon, really should have been, but an, an amazing win for them to pull it out. Um, so, you know, there's, there's, uh, and, and, you know, let's not forget about Oregon. Like they could still factor. So could Washington state, I suppose. Um, it's a, it's a much better division. It looks like top to bottom, except for Oregon state. If we're going to look at the rest of ASU schedule right now, I think there is one sure victory and two sure defeats. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of toss-ups. The problem is I think the sure victory 
is coming up on Saturday. I think Should we're be. I think we're gonna win this game forty two to twenty four. Yeah. Okay. And I think it's and, gonna be more I think it's gonna be more than that. Uh as the the, the it will feel bigger than even that much. I hope maybe. so, yeah. I mean I'm I'm I'll go fairly similar. I'll go uh forty five seventeen. Yeah, and see I think that it's gonna be a late score against a lot of our you know, second and, it could be. and third team that would, defense. Yeah, obviously that wouldn't you know wouldn't bother me if that ends up being the result. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. Who are who do you have as the two sure defeats? Home to Stanford at Oregon. At Oregon, I would say at Oregon for sure. Now, home to Stanford's interesting to me because of the fact that you know last year and so far this year we just seem like a much more confident, different team at home. Uh, you know, they just they just feel like you know. They can beat anybody. Now, USC was the exception last year, but, um, you know, other than that, it felt like, you know, there's always that edge, and especially as the underdog, which we will be, um, that's a game that I'm not sure I'm ready to totally write off yet. They're better than us. Don't don't mistake me, but they've had some slow starts, very slow this past week, slow against San Diego State, slow against USC, and that's a game I feel like maybe we could have a shot at, depending on how things are by the time we get there. David Shaw, uh, you're gonna hate this. <laughs> David Shaw is like Herman Boone, though. He runs. I mean, he's six, a very good coach. He runs yeah, six no, plays uh, that uh, give it time. They always work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's uh, it's a you know. I mean, you cannot argue with the success that he's had. No, no question about it. He has done really well, and like we talked about before the year, you know, you can't you can't any longer say, well, it's Jim Harbaugh's team. I mean, it, you know, this is his, what, eighth year, I believe? I think he's been um, there longer than Harbaugh was. Oh, he's definitely there longer than Har- Harbaugh was only there, I think, three or four years total. I think this is his eighth year. 2011, I think, was his first year with Luck because Luck was the number one pick in 2012. So, yeah, this is his eighth season. I mean, and, and you know, he's won multiple conference titles, gotten to big-time bowl games, um, and maybe this, you know, they got a, they got a heck of a test this week at Notre Dame. Um, but you know, if they, if they can win that, then, you know, certainly you start looking at them. And even if they lose that, they're still on the radar for the playoffs. I mean, if, if they lose that and win every other game, they still have a shot at the end. Do you want to venture a guess at David Shaw's head coaching record? He's coached 99 through the first 99 games. He's four and three in bowls. Okay. I would go somewhere in the area of 70 wins, 75. He is 77 and 22. Okay, okay. I mean, you know, they've had they've had really only one year that I think they went, you know, they maybe had five. I think they had five losses last year. And I think Kevin, one of Kevin's Hogan's years, they, they went like seven and five or something like that. They were but, they yeah. were seven and five and they won the Foster Farms Bowl to be eight and five. Okay, there You're you go. You're a savant. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember, I think that was Hogan's junior year. And then his senior year, they, they won the Pac-12, I think. Yeah, he so Shaw has gone first in the North, first in the North, first in the North, second in the North, first in the North, third in the North, tied for first in the North again. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's very consistent, you know. I mean, and, and they played, well, they played the Fiesta Bowl his first year. I know that. Uh, They've made, I think, two or three Rose Bowls in that span. Three, they're uh, two and one. Three, okay, yeah, yeah. So, 
yeah, I mean, it's been very consistent. The one, the one thing they're missing is, you know, that playing for the national championship. They haven't quite got there, but maybe this is the year. Who knows? I mean, you know, I, I don't think so. To me, I feel like this season is kind of shaping up that there's, there's four or five teams that are head and shoulders better than everybody else. And Stanford's not one of those four or five teams, but we'll see, you know, things think weird things happen. Oklahoma is one of those teams that I thought so. And they almost lost to army. Um, so, so strange things happen over the course of a college season. Jim Harbaugh was there for four seasons. He, yeah. He was only over 500 in the last two. But way over 500, right? Yeah, he was. I mean, his last year, they were like 11 and one or something like that, weren't they? 11 and one, and they won the Orange Bowl. Orange Bowl, yeah. So they yeah. Won, they ended 12 and one. He well, was, and remember, he took over a terrible program. Like you know, so he he kind of gets the benefit of the doubt that he took over an awful program, and within three years had him as a top twenty-five team. Oh, I mean, they were number the year he left. They were number four in the country. Right. His last year, they were top five. Yeah, yeah. And the Luck's freshman year, they were they were pretty good. They I, Luck got hurt at the end of the year. I remember, uh, but that was the year Gerhardt was the you know runner up for the Heisman. I think so. Yeah, I mean things things turned around fast there. I mean, when you look at Harbaugh's coaching career, he shows up in San Diego. He goes seven and four his first year, and then eleven and one each of the next two. Yeah, yeah. Then he goes to Stanford and turns the Makes program something out completely of around. And yes. he goes to the pros, where his worst year is eight and eight. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. Which was his last year when things had kind of fallen apart with the whole organization. Yeah. Then he goes to Michigan. Where his worst year so far is eight and five, eight and four, yeah, which isn't bad, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and like, let's not forget about them. Uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna see him here in five days, and you know, everybody kind of wrote him off after that first week, including me. I was disappointed. I thought that they'd look better, but they've started to look pretty good, and, and they, you know, they get a chance to play these, you know, Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin. So they're gonna have their shot to still make some noise in the Big Ten. We're going to be recording our Oregon State recap in person. That's right. That's from right. From the Dairy State. Yes. Uh, we're also going to soak up an awful lot of sports. Yes, we are. Brewers, Northwestern Michigan, and Packers, Bills. Matt, yes. before we go, how exciting are the Buffalo Bills in the Josh Allen era? Boy. More exciting than I thought. What a what a game for them on Sunday. That was a shocker of shockers. I was you know I was watching that, keeping tabs on it, and and stunned. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that's a game that we'll probably look back on by week ten or eleven and say you know fluke result of the year. The Vikings will probably have you know they'll probably be like seven and three or so, and the the Bills will probably be about three and seven, and we'll be like, well, how did that ever happen? But boy, impressive for the moment. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. I'm excited to see Josh Allen. Certainly more excited than to see Nathan Peterman. Um, and, you know, Lambeau Field. And can't wait, man. Going to be a fun week. Off to, off to Milwaukee on Friday. It's going to be great. Until next time, he's Matt. I'm Ben. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast.